Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by myself, Diana Bang, and the lovely Grace Hill. From fashion, beauty, and homeware, Diana and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So how's it going, Diana? It's going well. I don't know if you can notice some some new bling on my hands or... I know. <laughs> I can't stop staring at it. It's very exciting. So yeah. of our listeners, Diana got engaged this week, which is very exciting. Yeah. So just before lockdown, <laughs> something to something to do during... That's, that's what I'm going to do for lockdown. So bling and... Celebrate. Bling and, yeah. And celebrate. For a whole month. <laughs> celebrate inside just with my partner yeah <laughs> lucky him um, what about you how are you what have you been up to or what are your lockdown plans Grace oh I know how strange to think we're going into another lockdown sadly no new bling on my finger <laughs> nobody's been chasing me to get that sorted before <laughs> but now I think I'm just going to be doing well I'm going to stay in London try it last time I went to the Isle of Wight so I don't think I can spend any more time in the company of my parents as much as I love them but yeah I think I'll be cooking being very domesticated still got a lot of painting left to do in my flat I've decided I want a terracotta wall in my bedroom so I think I'm gonna go up oh, wow. and uh yeah maybe even like get started on Christmas and Christmas presents and things like that so I mean it sounds ex- very exciting on my end <laughs> <laughs> well I mean there's lots to prepare for outside of lockdown when we get into December because then everything is going to get crazy so Diana what are we talking about on today's episode so in today's episode we have Helen Riley fashion acquisition manager at eBay welcome to unedited Helen we're thrilled to have you join us um, well, for day one of the second lockdown, I'm joining you on uh, today. Yeah, really good. Thanks. Really delighted to be here. Great to chat to you. Do you have plans for the lockdown? Any hobbies, anything that you're going to keep busy with? Well, I thought I'd do the opposite of what I did last lockdown, which is to try and get rid of all of the weight that I put on. So I'm doing some sort of 28 day challenge with my local gym. So supporting them going online and keeping up with my friends there and stuff. So yeah, we'll see if, if anything comes to fruition from that. But certainly, I quite enjoy doing like little challenges like that. So it'll be fun if nothing else. Yeah. I was thinking to myself today as I was like looping tooting common, like how many times am I actually going to get around here over the course of lockdown? <laughs> that should be my challenge. Yeah, you should. It's quite a good run that one. <laughs> Before we jump into the topic, we'd love to hear about your career and the journey and getting to where you are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grace and I read a little bit about your bio and it's, it's so interesting to hear about wh- where you've been from ASOS to eBay. So. Yeah, sure. I remember way back some of my first memories about being dressed in things that I didn't want to wear, side ponytail at nursery school velcro on my shoes didn't like those and shopping I remember going to my local shopping center when I was a a young teenager and my dad saying something like you're never going to get a job shopping Helen I showed him didn't I (laughs) and I went off to university to do business studies and as part of that I did a year in industry for a swimwear retailer called Heidi Klein so at the time I think they just had the one store they opened second one in London while I was there or over in Saint-Tropez in a hotel which I got to go uh, over to which is very exciting at university age and I worked there for a year doing all sorts of things from a bit of shop floor work to fixing the phone lines when they broke and doing a couple of small buys testing out the panning machine so that's really when I fell in love with the idea of working in retail went back to university to finish my final year and then got onto the graduate scheme at Arcadia 
where I stayed for three years. And that really was a fantastic introduction to retail. So I, I describe it as retail boot camp, um, learned how to do everything there properly. Uh, they've got some fantastic internal reports and all of this, which I still miss to this day. So yeah, that was a really good training ground in buying and merchandising, worked in both of those functions at admin level. And then moved on to ASOS. So I was at ASOS for going on eight years and a really exciting time to be there. Trying to date it now, I should know this. I think it was about 2007 when I started and I was something like employee number 150. And by the time I left, there were about 2000, I think, in head office. So you can see even by that how much the business evolved and changed. And they're a real first mover, as we all know, in, in that sort of space. So lots of new, interesting ideas and things happening while I was there. For example, I remember going to a meeting with somebody saying, right, so there's this thing called Twitter. And we all set up our own ASOS Twitter accounts. That was, of course, before Instagram. So, yeah, all lots of new technologies and I don't know, being more global and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, really exciting place to be, really exciting time to see online evolving. And then from there, I went over to eBay. So I've been at eBay for five and a half years now. The time has absolutely flown. It's really difficult to decide where to go after ASOS, but I managed to find somewhere even bigger, unbelievably. And that's a really exciting, interesting, diverse and quite crazy place to work and outside of fashion as well. So I I work in the fashion uh, vertical, but of course, eBay uh, operates in lots of other categories and really is truly global. So yeah, really uh, interesting and varied career within within an area uh, shall we say but lots lots and lots of online and seeing lots of change and continuing to see lots of change as we don't need to tell everybody this year definitely well I feel like you know you've had such a variety of experience but stayed kind of true to that constant which is e-commerce yeah and I'd love to kind of go back to your your time at ASOS and obviously during that time the business experienced monumental growth so we'd love to know how the e-tailer developed such a strong internet presence during a time when really e-commerce was in its infancy you know as you said like Twitter wasn't even a thing what were the initial strategies there and and how did ASOS build such an extensive network of, of brands? Yeah so the story of ASOS is absolutely fascinating one of course they're very much a first mover and I think taking lots of chances and being rewarded for those so it came from being called as seen on screen I can't remember how old ASOS is I think it's about 20 years old where you could buy equivalent of something you've seen in a movie or on the TV and then that sort of evolved into clothing versions of what you know stars were wearing to like premieres and stuff like that and obviously that was successful and then the own label grew from that and then they added brands etc etc but I think a lot, a lot of their success, in my opinion, has come from really being first movers, not being afraid to try things. There's a phenomenal amount of things that have come out of ASOS, which other retailers do, and we see as standard now. So, for example, like the catwalk, I think they were the first people to do the catwalk. The shoots when I was there, when I first started, were really absolutely market leading. I remember bringing on some brands and on more than one occasion, the brands would say that ASOS shoot their product better than they do it themselves, which um, you think... Back then, I suppose, like e-commerce or catalogue shots weren't hugely important like they are now. And you'd get your ad campaign done and then and that'd be it. So, yeah, that was really interesting feedback to hear. And I think like real testament to the expertise that's inside that business then and now as well. And then, yeah, globalisation as well. Their, their cross-border trade has grown and grown. I think that's no secret. We can all see that on their annual reports and how they've been rewarded for that. And then the right amount of localization, I suppose, and really truly understanding the customer. Like I believe when I was there, and I'm sure it's still the same now, that they were really customer focused and 
really catered for that particular ASOS customer in a really strong way. Basically, set the precedent for how retailers should be online. Yeah, I think so. I, I do. I think we forget being in London, the UK, should I say, that we are market leading in terms of our fashion, fast fashion high street and also market leading in terms of our e-commerce presence that's outside of fashion. So to have those two together, they really are like globally, like breaking down some barriers and doing some things first, I think, as, as are a lot of other websites in the UK. Like at the time I started at ASOS, it was really Net-A-Porte, ASOS mm-hmm. and My Wardrobe. I don't know if anybody remembers who sadly uh, didn't continue, but they really were, yeah, the, the three sort of big new ones. Mm-hmm. Funny you say that because I feel like when lockdown first started, a lot of our international customers were saying that they were looking to UK e-commerce sites for inspiration as to how yeah. to shoot product and market yeah. but with stores not being around and, and whether there were any new innovative strategies. But no, I definitely remember the times when I actually had a friend's birthday party and it was like a film theme. And I remember buying a pink dress off of ASOS because it was like a Reese Witherspoon inspired outfit when it first started from like the Legally Blonde days. Oh my God. Yeah, when I first started, uh, I can't remember how long this was carrying on for, but obviously as a retailer, you're analysing which colours are selling best and which price points and all this. They also used to analyse which celebrities sold best. So as seen on was Victoria Beckham and Cheryl Cole. And then Lauren from the Hills was absolutely mm. massive. That really dates it, doesn't it? So yeah, there'd be like celebrity analysis to see which as seen ones uh, were really selling. That's amazing. It's interesting what you were saying about almost like that they were testing and learning at that time because... With online peer players like ASOS and Net-A-Porter, I remember reading about Natalie Massonet, the founder of Net-A-Porter, would start uh, she started a business from a hotel room or from her mm. or flat or something like that. So it was really yeah, it's interesting to know how these businesses have grown. And I guess what would be interesting to know about are the opportunities you mentioned with ASOS going into private label within their own marketplace, and you now have that being quite commonplace with retailers like. Amazon and Mr. Porter. What opportunities did they see in creating that? How did that come about? Well, I just did it the other way around. So they had the own label and then they added brands onto it, whereas Amazon, of course, have been branded and then have created their own label afterwards. But I suppose when you've got the option of having both the part that you get from your own label that you don't get from brands is really having that control over exactly what categories and products that you want and price points and the ranging and all that kind of thing. There's nothing more frustrating as a as a buyer than not being able to, knowing that something is there, but not being able to get it at the right time or somebody else having it. So own label can go some way um, to filling that. And then, of course, when you are customer focused and you've got all your data on your customer and feedback and that kind of thing, you can make exactly what you think that they want. And the margins are better in own buy than uh, than branded, of course, because there's an extra business mm-hmm. not there. Absolutely. I feel like it gives you the opportunity to plug those gaps that you wouldn't have from buying branded product. And as you said, like listening to the customer, which obviously ASOS is you know, mm-hmm. good at doing and understanding what yeah. they really want. Yeah. So today you're working for another e-commerce giant mm. being eBay. So what does your current role as fashion acquisition manager involve? So I bring new business onto the platform. So predominantly that's big brands and retailers who are wanting to set up a store on eBay. So if you imagine eBay as the virtual high street, then brands such as Adidas will come up and open up their Adidas store for their customers to come and visit. So there's been a lot of new brands coming onto 
eBay over the last couple of years. All sorts of brands that you wouldn't think are on there, actually. So we've just launched, for example, Moschino, uh, Dolce & Gabbana, D-Squared, and then lots of really great High Street, LK Bennett, Hobbs, Lyle & Scott, Oliver Bonus. Loads and loads of them have come over, on the, over the last year, which is great. So that is the core of what I do. And then looking after some of the big initiatives. So hopefully you might have seen in the market over the last month some advertising for our brand outlets. So this is our discounted brand offering on fashion. We spent a huge amount on marketing over the last five weeks on out of home, social influencers, radio, etc. And then also this week, we've gone into soft launch with a designer version of that called Designer Outlet. So alongside brand outlets. So yeah, that's hopefully going out to market in the spring when we've got a few more brands on board. And then the amazing thing about eBay is there's, you just never know what's around the corner in a really good way. And there is such opportunity. It's such a vast platform. It really is so big. So there's so many different customers and businesses on there. So other things that I work on are things like looking after our small businesses and how we can grow those sort of small independent labels, up and coming brands, that kind of thing. And sustainability. So we're like the original sustainability platform, if you like. Of course, eBay came from customer to customer sales 25 years ago. So quite a long time for e-commerce. And yeah, how we can better potentialize that, especially as it's really hot topic in the market at the moment. I'm really interested in your role at being fashion acquisition manager, because I feel like with multi-brand retailers and these platforms, this role hasn't been around, I guess, for, you know, for that many years. How do you go about finding new brands to acquire and, and what analysis do you do? What's what's like the mm-hmm. process? So we have a lot of data on eBay already from brands because of the nature of the platform. Pretty much every brand you can think of already has a presence. So we can see how engaged the customer is. So what they're searching for under brand names and also what they're purchasing under brand names. So we've already got a really good idea of what the eBay customer wants to buy in terms of brands. So that gives us a great starting point. And then outside of that, really, it's understanding the market. So the data is not going to show if something's not there. So if something's really exclusive or not well distributed, but we think there's demand for it in the market, that's the other way that we'd really go about approaching brands. So yeah, really, really lucky to have that information and fascinated to have that information at my fingertips, actually. So interesting to see yeah. what people are searching for, what it is they're buying. Must yeah, top be- search terms. I absolutely love looking <laughs> at top search terms. So especially like this year, absolutely fascinating. So changing day by day and week by week, and we can see exactly what it is that the customer wants. So outside of fashion, just for fun, in March, when lockdown started, we had through the roof searches for all the things that you can imagine, toilet paper, chest freezers, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. And then at the moment, what we're seeing, patio heaters, board games, ready for Christmas. Yeah, we see it all at Great Away, so it's really, really interesting. That's so interesting. I feel like the patio heater is definitely a thing. Yeah. Me and my friends are saying, like, how, it's obviously pre-lockdown, so when we were on tier two, but, like, how can we still, like, sit outside and, like, hang out? And someone's like, let's get a patio heater. I was like, I bet you yeah. can get one. At all. That's <laughs> it. Everyone would be pissing their patio heaters next to their jacuzzis that they bought over the summer (laughs) (laughs) or even by region where if it was like if you could see i know with like wales or if it was happening further in the uk with non-essential items being able to be bought in store whether they were searching for more you know and even like what is non-essential what would they be searching for so <laughs> all sorts, all sorts. What I found really interesting over the summer was when lockdown started to ease, how quickly things like high heels started to uptrend again. Mm-hmm. I thought there would be a much sort of softer, I mean, it was not as strong as it was before, but I thought it would be much more soft going back into that. But people were just absolutely ready to go out. <laughs> to get out and to enjoy yeah. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, you have a phenomenal list of brands that you've obviously mentioned already and that we know that are on the platform. So could you talk us a little bit more through the benefits of brands using third-party platforms and retail sites? Kind of, mm-hmm. And also, what's eBay's USP to being on you know, unique selling point versus being on mm-hmm. a retailer's site? Yeah, I think the main two things are adjacencies and then where's the customer. So retail's been evolving, as we know, like quite dramatically, really, for about the last 15 years. And then goodness knows how much this year's fast-forwarded all of that. But the customer now is shopping, behaving in a different way than they were 5, 10, 15 years ago. So I always think of the department store model versus the marketplace model is quite interesting because I know myself, I used to go to my local shopping centre on a Saturday afternoon recreationally, or if I had a you know a need to, to buy things, you go into the department store and you can get fragrance in there, you can get a new tennis racket, you can get a new winter coat or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But now the customer might be doing all of that on a marketplace or a multi-brand retailer. Driving traffic to online stores is usually competitive and very expensive if you're trying to do it as an individual brand. So often brands for that reason will be interested to go to a multi-brand retailer. And the traffic for the big players is just, you know, it's so many X times what it would be on a smaller website. So Really, I think the main pull for brands and retailers to set up alongside their adjacencies is because that's where the customer is. The traffic is absolutely huge and it just doesn't compete or they can't compete without themselves. Mm-hmm. And because there's so much choice out there, you almost want it to be easier to search for those things or have content or inspiration of ideas of how to shop. And yeah, third party platforms will make that a little bit easier for them. Mm-hmm. Whatever is easier for the consumer. That's exactly. Where go. <laughs> exactly. If the consumer is already shopping in that space and is already used to that checkout flow and knows that they can trust it and all that kind of stuff, then you want your product to be there for them to consider. Yeah. We'd love to hear more about the transformation strategy of eBay. You mentioned this a little bit earlier about the the change from, you know, obviously you've always been very sustainably focused, but pivoting from the secondhand market to now offering 90% brand new products and um, yeah it'd be great to see more background to that and how that happened yeah I think it's evolved on purpose and organically over the 25 years and like I said the customer to customer part of the business is still really important and the customer that sells on um, eBay is the most engaged in terms of purchasing but alongside all of that behavior customers have turned into small businesses who have turned into big businesses and then that customer base has grown and so it's attracted other businesses and then where there've been customer demand for various initiatives for example brand outlet then that's when we'll actively go out and uh, source new brands to come and come and sit with their adjacencies so yeah that's how it's happened really customer demand was customer so what have the biggest challenges being for eBay shifting your positioning from kind of secondhand marketplace to selling predominantly new items, mm-hmm. would you say? Yeah, I think the sales are really positive, but the perception in the market has not caught up with where the sales are, I would say. And so there's a huge amount of work going on to try and catch that up, but there's definitely still a gap. So I regularly speak to people that have no idea that eBay sell new things at all, never mind that big well-known businesses that they recognize are on the platform so I think I alluded to uh, earlier that we spent a lot on particularly on our brand outlet advertising over the last month so I'll be interested to see what the uh, reaction's been in terms of perception there afterwards and then as a whole business not just on, on fashion there's a huge amount of investment across marketing a couple of years ago we spent 10 times as much in one year as we had previously so the business is certainly taking it seriously but I definitely think it's a perception thing rather than actually how the business is behaving. 
I've seen those adverts. I've never, I've seen them so much on TV. They're quite colorful and they're very like memorable, which mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever, you know, have had eBay front of mind as much as I've had right now, which is really interesting okay. now that we have this podcast. <laughs> I've just seen the eBay everywhere. So Good, it yeah, that's it. It's once, you, once you start thinking about it, you can't stop seeing it, but I'm, I'm glad you've seen it and remembered it. And maybe you'll get a song stuck in your head like I do. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a Christmas jingle soon. Exactly. <laughs> But we've had a lot of conversations around sustainability on this podcast. I know we've been speaking about it a little bit now, but what's eBay's position on the recycle and upcycle phenomenon that exploded in 2019? Considering that, like you mentioned, historically, eBay has been a major channel to buy secondhand products and now moving to new products as a focus. Yeah, I mean, you can do both, of course, on eBay, can't you? You can buy it and then upcycle it and then resell it. And there's quite a few businesses that have businesses on eBay that do exactly that. So there's some fantastic accessories brands that... Have recycled. I found one yesterday that had recycled fireman's hose pipes into handbags, which doesn't sound like it would be nice, but they were absolutely phenomenal. So there's all sorts of amazing businesses that do things like that on eBay. And then a huge vintage offer. Like if you're going to shop vintage, I would hope that you'd come to eBay to do it because there's some absolutely amazing things there. I'm a huge vintage lover myself. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the, the big things that pulled me towards eBay when I started. But yeah, pre-loved and customer to customer sustainability is all really part of our DNA and something that we really cherish and uh, continue to focus on for sure. I think in the first three months of this year in the UK, we rescued something like 68 double-decker buses worth of clothing. So that just to give you like the scale of how much goes through the platform. Mm, yeah, even Selfridges have now the the section on their floor where it's all yeah. uh, secondhand and then they've done a collaboration with the Her Collective, which we've had an episode on our podcast with the founder there. So there's just a lot going on in the industry on this. Yeah, definitely. It's completely changed, I think, from the way that secondhand clothes were perceived years ago. You know, people obviously would wear them, but I don't think you'd shout about it or be proud about it in the way that a lot of people are now. And even in my experience, obviously, having always worked in fashion and surrounded by other fashion lovers, a lot of them weren't keen or personal choice, of course, on on vintage. But I think the perception of it has, has changed now. Definitely. I mean, I was going to say, I was going to ask you that as well. Like my next question was going to be, how do you feel like the attitude towards secondhand clothing has shifted? Because, you know, as you said, it's now cool and it's like seen to be responsible to be be doing that. Whereas before, I think it was like, oh, you know, great that you bought something secondhand, but I'd much rather go and buy something new. And it wasn't seen as the kind of first choice, as it were. Yeah, definitely. I think the younger generation, got to make myself sound old, but it's true, are far more aware of the environment and much more passionate about it. So I think there's definitely an age thing there as well. And I guess moving away from sustainability, another topic that's quite big right now, and even in the past couple of years, is around personalization. So we looked at research that showed that customers spend 48% more when their shopping experience is personalized. And we spoke a lot about this in a previous podcast around building a challenger brand with Astrid and Mio. But when did you start seeing personalization grow in importance in your career? And how did you or how did the retailers you worked with manage this? I was trying to remember the first time I experienced personalization as a customer. And I think it's got to be Amazon buying because I would go and use it at Christmas to buy my dad a book. So every Christmas I go back on and it's recommending me books about cricket and clarinetists and things like this. (laughs) But it's definitely helpful because even in that example, that's not an area of my expertise, but it was giving me ideas. So therefore more likely to convert at eBay. It's always been personalized since I've been working there. So the homepage and what you see in the newsletters and all that kind of thing is, is personalized. 
and probably again talking about ASOS because I'm still familiar with the platform something I really like that they do is now tell me what size it is that they think that I should buy from presumably what I bought previously and what I haven't returned and that seems to be a sensible suggestions that they give me as well and what brands that I might like from what I've shot before that kind of thing sometimes I go a size under it tells me like a size on ASOS and I'm like no 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 I'm coming up a size under under since (laughs) lockdown and I just don't know why (laughs) I know I don't think mine have caught up with my lockdown (laughs) changes no I feel like that's such a helpful tool as well because I know that Zara do that on their site too they recommend what size that you you should be buying based on yeah returns are one of my favorite topics at the moment and of course that is a tool to try and avoid or Mm. reduce returns so anything like that that a retailer is finding to be successful I fully champion definitely are there any other like out of curiosity on the topic of returns that you know have been successful measures to help minimize that because I know that that's a a huge issue in e-commerce and kind of Mm. eating away at that margin that you get I think just giving the customer as much clear information as possible at purchase so they're more likely to keep it has got to be the best idea. I know there's so many clever technologies out there about measurements and virtual reality and all this sort of stuff. But things like the, the catwalk, I think, really helps where you can see how the product moves, but just as much information and definitely as many photos as possible before they're making that purchase. But we are in a returns culture really now. And as a retailer, I think it's really difficult because you've got to be competitive with your delivery and returns. And of course, making it easy for the customer to return things and they're more likely to return things. So it's not it's not an easy thing to solve at all. Definitely. I have to say the catwalk on ASOS is particularly helpful. Just like, mm-hmm. as you said, seeing how it kind of falls on the body as well. Like, where does it hit? you know, what does the fabric look like? All of those things that are much more helpful when buying, which you just sometimes don't get from a flat image at all. I get really annoyed when there are some products that obviously haven't had the catwalk shot because maybe it's brand new or it's just that video isn't available. So eBay cited an increase in sales from modernizing its platform and introducing personalization, which obviously we've been talking about already. But what are the new technology investments and strategies eBay is focusing on right now? Yeah, there's been an even higher level of personalization recently. So before eBay would personalize as to what it thought you would like to see, but now you can actually sort of design your own homepage, if you like, in the type of products that's served up. So that's really great. I mean, that's something I advocate being a multi-category platform and I might just want to see fashion. So that's fantastic. Lots of image recognition, which I think is really market leading. So you can search by photograph, which on eBay, of course, eBay has everything. is fantastic when you're really, really desperate to find something. And also then it will categorize things by image as well. So that's something that I think is brilliant. Wow. It'd be great to see more because you um, mentioned about images and there's that kind of best match technology I mean what's the impact been do you know has have there been more customers that have been able to engage with eBay because of these new technologies yeah so eBay is absolutely huge we're in like 190 countries there's 1.5 billion listings so that all sounds really impressive but then of course we want the customer to be able to find what they want within that 1.5 billion listings so to get the best match algorithm right is absolutely critical for that so it matches obviously on search terms, but then brings all the other information in as well, like looks at the images using image recognition, looks at pricing to make sure it's actually relevant product and all the different categories and that kind of thing. So it's a really, really powerful algorithm and you can pretty much find everything, anything that you want on eBay. 
you must have a huge data science team. I know from our experience at Edited, you know, we we create a lot of machine learning and obviously everything we do is around algorithms. So we mm-hmm. have a yeah. house, but I'm just thinking in comparison to a company like eBay. Yeah, they won't tell me the uh, secret of it though because I'll tell all my brands and retailers, <laughs> <Yeah>. of course. <laughs> I mean, that was also going to be a question that I wanted to ask you is how you mentioned obviously the handbag business that create those out of hose pipes. Mm-hmm. How does eBay support those smaller vendors as well in terms of exposure on the platform and kind of brand discovery? So if you set up a store on eBay yourself, there's a huge amount of tools that you can use to try and get yourself to the top of search and market and all that kind of stuff. Again, it's something that you probably wouldn't be able to afford or wouldn't have access to yourselves on your own website. So you can do like promoted listings to get yourself to the top of search or on other customers or support and check out and that kind of thing. There's lots of marketing tools that you can offer, sales, that kind of stuff. All of the stores are fully customizable, so you can put your own logos and your own imagery and that kind of thing and have your own environment for the customer to come and look at. So there's lots of things that you have access to, which are free or very, very cheap compared to doing it yourself. And speaking about that in a bit more detail, because yeah, we want to talk about a bit more about how brands can utilize that to expose themselves on your platform. But are there different levels of exposure that brands can have? dependent on the partnerships that they have or how does it work for them? Yeah, well, it would depend what initiative you fit into. So uh, as I uh, said, keep banging on about it, third time now, just relaunched our brand outlet offer through October with the big marketing campaign before. That's a really clear proposition, which is well-known high street brands. So if you were a high street or global brand, that's where you would sit. We launched Designer Outlet this week. So if you're a designer one, obviously you'd sit in there. And then we have Small Business Initiative on at the moment. So enabling small businesses to set up on eBay and we support them with scaling opportunities and that kind of thing. So it really depends who you are and what's going on as to what's appropriate for you. Amazing. And from your experience at both ASOS and eBay, I know you had mentioned, obviously, like eBay has 1.5 billion listings. How do you create kind of an optimal portfolio of brands that drives productivity versus cannibalizing sales? You know, I know from my experience, sometimes it can be overwhelming, the number of brands or even the number of the same type of item, like a black T-shirt for example. Yeah, I think it's the same as when you're buying a product range, really. Of course, you need to understand what it is that your customer's looking for, searching for, and what's converting, and then building a few adjacencies around so they've got enough choice that's a a destination. But yeah, if you've got too much of the same thing, of course, you're just taking up space and it's becoming cannibalization and it makes it more difficult for the customer to browse and, and find what they want. Honestly, that is a challenge at eBay because it's a marketplace. That's the the nature of the business is that there can be everything on there. So again, I think it's down to personalization and improving browsability, making sure that our pages are served up in a, a beautiful way that the customer can easily navigate through. Well, that's like always having the customer in mind with everything that you do mm-hmm. really leads to success. And I guess translating that to maybe what we've seen in the past couple of months with value players in the market you know, historically, they've been slow to adopt e-commerce. You've got kind of Primark and Tesco, Florence and Fred had to retire their e-com site. And during lockdown or the previous one, Primark's revenue fell from $650 million a month to zero in April because they have no e-commerce presence mm-hmm. and had to shut their shops. So how important is it for value brands to prioritize e-commerce strategies moving forward from your point of view? And what advice would you give to ensure all segments of the industry can make an e-commerce site that has a profitable model? I think for any brand, no matter 
who you are in fashion that you've got to think about your different omni-channel strategies. So online marketplace, bricks and mortar and what the right mix of those is and why you've got them all and what do they serve for you. I think getting more and more tough on on the high street but it's changing as well so the kind of it's always going to be important we're always going to want to go to shops but why are we going there so I think you've got to be the best or very good and you've got to have a clear strategy you've got to understand what it is your customer wants is it going to be more about experience customer services just getting more and more and more important so all of those things you really need to consider and get right I think with value retailers this is just in my opinion it can be harder if your price point is lower of course and depending how many items are going in the package because it costs to post a parcel it costs to pack a parcel it costs to return it all this kind of thing so I think it's much more challenging at that end of the market and um, I'm sure Prime have thought about going online before and they know what they're doing there but yeah nobody can of course obviously have seen everything getting shut down this year so yeah it'll be very interesting to see what happens to those uh, kind of brands. I just can't imagine what Primark's customer experience online would be like, because, you know, if you translate it from what it's like in store to online, (laughs) how to navigate in the store and then navigate online. They've certainly got products that customers absolutely uh, love. Yeah, I mean, imagine if there were a way to make it work, that would be great for a lot of people. I know, that's the thing. I feel like I'm expecting it's a matter of when not if with them like uh, I'm sure they will probably have to come online at some point especially in the current circumstances and the uncertainty that is in the market with brick and mortar stores so it'll be so interesting to see yeah I was going to say as a retail geek I would be absolutely fascinated and really excited to see that Helen, thank you so much. It's been so interesting. But one question we we always ask our guests is, what's the one thing that you would love our listeners to take away from this episode? Probably try something new. Uh, That's the big thing I took away from ASOS and continue to see at eBay. Yeah, try something new. Keep your eye on the competition and and what they're doing. Yeah, that's it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was so interesting to learn all about your experience at ASOS and, and thank you for doing at eBay. It sounds like such a fascinating place to work and so much, so many interesting things that are going on. Thank you for having me so much. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you guys. As a listener of ours, we are here to support you as this challenging year in retail continues. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything that they can to support you. For all of our listeners, ensure you're subscribed to the Insider Briefing. You can sign up at edited.com, where we'll be keeping you all updated on the latest news and strategies. Thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Helen, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with future episodes. And please tell your friends or family about us. And if you have any further questions, you can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye. Bye.